Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined again by Sal Stefano from Mind Pump. You can find him on Instagram at Mind Pump Sal, and we're going to be discussing his new book, The Resistance Training Revolution. Great book. Highly recommend you purchase it and give it a read if you haven't already. You can click the link below in the description to get access to that. Before we begin, I'm going to give a quick word to one of our sponsors. You're about to listen to another episode of the Braun Body Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Braun. I founded Braun Body Training Holistics in 2019, and we started the Braun Body Podcast in March of 2020. Since then, we've released over 100 podcast episodes about various topics relating to training, nutrition, lifestyle, mental health, and so much more. We've been fortunate enough to have amazing guests on the show who range from doctors in physical therapy, chiropractics, nutrition experts, strength and conditioning specialists, and so much more. This podcast is your new one-stop shop for motivational content, health and fitness content, training advice, insight, and wisdom that you can get nowhere else. Welcome to the Brown Body Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. Sal, welcome back to the show. Excited to have you and talk about your book today. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So for those listening, if you haven't yet, I highly recommend you go out and buy Sal's new book called The Resistance Training Revolution. You can find it online. There's a link to it right below in the description. Just click that. It's 1000% worth your money. Highly recommend buying it. But if you aren't convinced yet, listen in for the next 30 minutes or so because Sal's going to kind of talk to you about it and kind of make you realize, hey, maybe, maybe I don't know everything, right? A little Dunning-Kruger effect for you. So with that, Sal, what's your new book about? Okay, so um, the book is called The Resistance Training Revolution because uh, I firmly believe there needs to be a revolution in the way that we approach the chronic health issues that plague modern societies, right? So what are those, those health issues? Well, the, the big one that contributes to so many others is obesity, right? We know that mm-hmm. we've, we're in this kind of obesity epidemic. It's something that's been growing, uh, no pun intended now for the past you know, <laughs> six decades or so. It reduces quality of life. It contributes to increased risks of cancers, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, osteoporosis, uh, it, it increases risks of autoimmune issues. And all those issues, including obesity, are all modern health uh, kind of problems. They, you know, you go back a thousand years and, you know, I mean, you don't even have to go back a thousand years. Go back when I got my first personal training certification, you know, 20 something years ago, we called type two diabetes, adult onset diabetes. That was the name of it. So it's type one diabetes, right? Your body doesn't make enough insulin. And then there was adult onset diabetes where your body stops responding to insulin and they called it adult onset because it only affected adults. Well, they had to change the name shortly after I got my first certification to type two diabetes because kids started getting it right. So we're in this health dilemma and the part of the problem, and it's a very complex issue, a very challenging one, but part of the problem And part of the reason why we've failed at coming up with any real solution is that the paradigm that we've been sold, at least the exercise portion of the formula of the paradigm, 
has been totally wrong. We've been sold the wrong bill of goods. And in fact, that information not only is ineffective, it's actually probably contributed to the problem. So uh, if you don't mind, I can go into that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'd love to hear what your uh, thoughts are on that. No problem. So, so here's the, the formula, right, for, for solving obesity, right? So uh, when, if you really boil everything down, and it's more complex than this, but if you really boil everything down, it's an energy balance issue. So what does that mean? Okay, we're, we're taking in more calories than we burn. That's the bottom line. Right. If you take in more calories than you burn, you store body fat. That's the way, that's what your body does with those extra calories. It takes it and it stores it as body fat for next time. Mm -hmm. In order to lose weight, you need to switch that up a little bit and you need to take in less calories than you burn or to put it differently, burn more calories than you take in. And it really doesn't matter what your diet looks like. You could eat a keto diet. You could eat vegan, paleo, carnivore. You could do intermittent fasting. Doesn't matter. If you want to lose weight, you have to take in less calories than you burn. You can't get around that. Now, of course, what makes up those calories determines how you feel and satiety and contributes to your health and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to take in less calories than you burn. Otherwise, you're not going to lose weight. And this is a fact. It's a law of physics, a law of thermodynamics. I believe it's the second law of thermodynamics. Yep. Um, so you can't get around it, okay? Now that's very true. Now here's the problem, and here's where things get a little screwy, is that what we've been told with the calorie burn side of the formula is, okay, it's better to burn more calories. This is true, right? If you burn more calories than the food that you eat, you're, you're more likely to be able to lose weight because now you can eat more, but still eat less than you're burning, right? So right. how do we get that number to go up? And so what we've done is we've looked at exercise and we've valued it primarily or solely on how many calories are being burned while performing that exercise. And so what, what doctors and what the medical community has said is, hey, the best form of exercise is the one that burns the most calories since we're mm -hmm. trying to create that energy you know, imbalance. Now, the problem with that is it's, it's completely false. And it also negates the real number one value of exercise, which is how does that form of exercise get my body to adapt? Right. And then what does that mean? What do those adaptations mean? What do those changes in my body mean? The calories burned while you exercise actually is almost of no value. And there's a, there's a few reasons why. One is it doesn't make that big of a difference. Um, even if you exercise every single day, it's not that big of a difference, but two, because we're ignoring how our bodies adapt to the exercise, we're picking the wrong form of exercise. And it's so wrong. It's actually making our bodies burn less calories. We're actually slowing our metabolisms down. So let me go into that a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're basically saying because we're doing the wrong form of exercise, we're becoming dependent on that exercise in order to keep burning calories and keep moving forward because uh, instead of increasing our base metabolic rate, we're decreasing it. We're not building muscle and building different things that our body needs in order to function regularly. Yeah. Well, let me, let me get into some detail with that. Right. So if you look at all exercise forms and, and I want to be clear, they all have value. So right. those are applied appropriately, but if you look at all forms of exercise and you rank them on calorie burn, well, the number one form of exercise is cardiovascular activity, right? So running, swimming, biking, rowing, 
they definitely burn the most calories per time being spent. That's very true. But the way that they cause the body to adapt is actually detrimental to our long-term success, especially when you consider the context of modern life and how many days a week people will realistically work out on a long-term basis. Now, here's what happens. When I'm doing lots of cardiovascular activity, I go out and I go for a run, right? And initially I can only do one block. It's really hard. And then I practice and I get better. Now I can do two blocks and a mile and two miles and three miles. What's happening to my body? Well, my body's improving its endurance and stamina. I don't need much strength to perform cardiovascular activity. In fact, I need very little strength. Mm -hmm. uh, your evidence, by the way, is look at uh, extreme endurance athletes. Very, very little muscle, very little muscular strength. You just don't need a lot of strength. You just need lots of endurance and stamina. The third thing is because I burn a lot of calories while performing it, and I don't need a lot of strength, one of the primary adaptations is my body actually pairs muscle down. It actually will lose muscle in order to make me a better cardio machine, right? Mm -hmm. So study, and by the way, this isn't just my experience. This is right. study support this 100%. Absolutely. Yep. Like if you look at the studies on uh, people who lose weight with cardio plus diet, what you'll typically see is a significant portion of their weight loss coming from muscle. In some studies, as much as half, right? So mm -hmm. you lose 10 pounds, five pounds of it is muscle. Now, there's a, there's a couple problems with that. Number one, you're just a smaller, similar flabbiness, similar body fat percentage version of yourself. So I lose 10 pounds, half of it's muscle. I'm roughly the same body fat percentage I was before. I'm just smaller. But here's the big problem. Muscle is extremely metabolically active tissue. By reducing my muscle mass, I've effectively slowed down my metabolism. Mm -hmm. My body now burns less calories every single day because of this. And by the way, this is by design. Right. Your body is actually learning to burn less calories to make you better at cardiovascular activity. One of my favorite studies that highlights this, and there's been several of these studies, but one of my favorites was done on the modern hunter-gatherer tribe known as the Hadza tribe yep. of northern Tanzania. Now, they are modern hunter-gatherers, meaning they live the way that humans probably lived, you know, 50,000 years ago. No electronics. They live in huts, small tribes. Um, they only eat what they can find or kill. So they forage for natural roots and, you know, seeds, the occasional fruit, which if they're lucky, but most of the calories come from uh, hunting, right? That's where they're going to get the most nutrient dense, calorically dense foods. And the way that they, they live is very active. Like they don't sit on a couch and watch TV or, or go on their phone. They're moving all the time just to get water, just to go to the bathroom. Definitely when they hunt and the way that they hunt is the way that humans hunted thousands of years ago is they, you know, will stalk an animal, throw a spear at it, wound it, and then run after it until it gets exhausted. And this is just how hunter gatherers hunt. So scientists went down and studied these modern hunter gatherers and through some sophisticated testing, tested their metabolic rates. They said, okay, let's see how many calories these people burn on a daily basis. I mean, they're so active. Let's see what they're burning every day. And here's what they found. These hunter-gatherers burned similar amounts of calories to the average 
American couch potato. Now, how is this possible, right? You think to yourself, how, how can they burn as little calories as my uncle John that sits on the couch all day long and watches TV? Well, it's an adaptation and it makes perfect sense. It would not make sense for hunter-gatherers to burn 10,000 calories a day. We would have never survived as humans. You, right. you, can't, you can't find 10,000 calories a day in nature. So their bodies adapted to become more efficient with calories. And the primary form of activity is, for them, cardiovascular. Mm -hmm. And so here's what happens. And, and this is what we've been told, right? Uh, right? Cut your calories, do cardio. This is the best way to lose weight. Well, here's what it looks like when you do that. You initially lose weight at first. And then you plateau real hard, lost some muscle, lost some body fat, but then I plateau, no more progress. So now in order to lose more weight, I got to eat less or exercise more or do both, right? Right. And I lose a little more weight. Oh my God, I plateaued again. How do I get this last 10 pounds? I got to work out more. I got to cut my calories in more. So now you lose 30 pounds, but you're left with a slow metabolism where you have to eat way less than you did before just to maintain, and you got to do exercise every single day, right? Yep. And oh, by the way, you just lost how much muscle mass? Right. Totally unsustainable. It's just, yep. it's not sustainable. Okay. So what I write about in the book is a different form of exercise in which the adaptations are favorable for the context of modern life. So I talk about resistance training, also known as strength training. Okay. Mm -hmm. By the way, resistance training is not just exercise with resistance. It's exercising with resistance specifically to build muscle and strength. Right. And the resistance can be body weight. It could be bands. Of course, it could be free weights. It could be machines, but in a way to build strength. So it typically looks like you would do some reps with a certain amount of weight and intensity. Then you would rest and then you'd repeat the set just like a strength athlete would do. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the primary form of adaptation? from resistance training, build strength and build muscle. That's the main adaptation, right? What is the side effect of building muscle and building strength? A faster metabolism. So what does it look like when somebody loses weight through resistance training and diet? Well, initially they start off with a slower weight loss, primarily because they don't lose any muscle. So the right. scale might not show weight loss as quick, but that's because you're just losing body fat. In many cases, you might even be building muscle initially. So you build a little muscle, lose some fat, the, the scale moves slowly, but then the metabolism starts to kick in and you get this snowball effect yep. of fat loss. Now here's what it looks like at the end of that. You lose 30 pounds, but you have a metabolism that's faster than you started with. So now I'm working out a little bit, you know, lifting weights or whatever, doing resistance training, and I'm eating more than I did before to stay lean far more sustainable. And this is the approach that we need to encourage people to take because it's far more sustainable. And there's, there's more to it. There's a lot more to it than just that. One of my favorite hallmarks of resistance training is how little of it you need to do to get those results. Right. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, because right on the cover, you were, um, the cover says that you can get results in just 60 minutes a week. Yeah. And, you know, I know that equates to what, 10, 12 minutes a day for most people. That's, that's like nothing considering how much time people spend looking at the TV. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you could do 10 minutes a day or you could do two 30-minute workouts or two 45-minute workouts if you want to go a little longer. But really what you're doing with resistance training is you're just sending a signal to the body to build muscle and strength. Right. And then you let it, and then you let it happen. The average person would get great strength building and muscle building results from two well-structured workouts a week. Yep. Now that you're not, you're not going to look like a bodybuilder, but that's fine. Most people don't want to, you're not going to achieve extreme feats of performance, but the metabolism boosting effects that you'll get from that are significant and they don't require a lot of time. And this is a big point because, you know, I trained people for decades and I got really good at getting the average person to be consistent with exercise, people who never exercised before to become lifelong, you know, consistent with their workouts. But the most I could ever hope for was about two or three days a week. Like right. we're not the average person. We're not going to turn them into a fitness fanatic. The most we could hope for is about two or three days a week of structured exercise. And it's great because resistance training fits that perfectly. And like I said, you get great results doing it two or three days a week. For sure. And it looks like too, that you kind of keep things simple for the most part, right? That's something you talk about a lot on the podcast. You can get a lot out of doing things like bench press, squat, deadlift, and pull-ups really well. You don't need to get too fancy with all these extreme variations. I noticed with your book, that seems to be a similar concept, right? You included some different exercise videos and tutorials for people who buy the book. I think there's about 60 or 70 of them, if I remember correctly. And to most people, 60 or 70, that's a pretty slim number compared to when you go on Google and you type in, you know, exercises and you get thousands of different exercises for all these different things. I think simplicity really speaks volumes. And I like that you've kind of incorporated that into your uh, book and your programming as well, right? Yeah. Yep. Not all exercises are created equal. Some are far more effective than others at doing exactly what I'm talking about, speeding up the metabolism, building strength, improving longevity, uh, helping you burn body fat. And it, it's far more effective to practice the effective exercises than it is to do a million of these other types of movements. For example, a squat, a traditional squat. If you practice that often, and it takes a long time to get good at it, by the way, yep. but you practice it often, you'll get better results for your lower body than if you did, you know, 15 other leg exercises, right? So just practice. Look, let me put it this way. Here's a, here's a good analogy, right? One, one of the most effective striking martial arts or fighting styles in the world is boxing. Boxers right. are very effective if you put them up against almost any other, you know, striking art, right? Now, boxers have like, what, four punches? There's a jab. There's a straight, there's a hook, there's an uppercut. I mean, I think that's, I think that's pretty much it, right? Yep. Why are they so good? Because they master those. Yep. And it makes them better than the guy or girl that knows 5,000 moves, but hasn't mastered any of them. This is very true when it comes to resistance training. So simplicity is important. I only put the effective movements in there. If you look through it, it's going to look basic. That's okay. It works. Um, and we need to treat exercise like practice, not like a workout. So what I mean by that is understand that it's a skill, understand that as you get better at that skill, the more you're going to get from it. So rather than going to the gym and trying to make yourself sore and sweat, think to yourself, I'm going to get better at squatting. I'm going to get better at pressing. I'm going to get better at rowing. I'm going to get better at rotation and just practice, 
Yep. And you'll get far better results that way and way less injuries. Right. And if you're somewhat active in your daily life, a lot of the movements you're doing at the gym are things you do every single day, day in and day out. I can't even tell you how often during the day I sit down and I stand up or I bend over to pick something up and then lift it up or I press something, reach overhead. A lot of the things you do in the gym, these functional movements have carry over into your life. So you're not just going to get better at them from gaining strength and uh, size in the gym, but you're also going to start getting more efficient with what we call your neuromotor recruitment patterns. So you start to recruit muscle more effectively and efficiently. Your firing patterns start to improve. So again, what you're doing in the gym has huge carryover through the rest of your life. And you mentioned it early on when we were talking about obesity, there's just so many different health problems we're seeing now in people that didn't exist before from low bone density to just impaired functional ability in physical therapy in the clinic. I can't tell you how many times I get referrals of people who they can't clean their house. They can't cook for themselves. They can't do things that we need to be able to do to be independent. So doing these things regularly is going to increase your longevity, increase your independence and help improve that quality of life piece. And I think that's something that we often forget about. Yeah, well, you talk about longevity, you know, uh, there was a study that out of Sydney, Australia, that showed and this is the the first time and so far, the only thing that we've ever seen the only non medical intervention that has stopped the progression of the beta amyloid plaques that cause Alzheimer's, yep. and it was resistance training, mm-hmm. they had people lift weights and build muscle, and they saw in the brain. Uh, remarkable effects. Now, part of this reason is is speculated to be the insulin sensitizing effects of building muscle. Now, I know type, you know, uh, Alzheimer's is often referred to by some researchers as type three diabetes. There's definitely a connection between, you know, this dysfunction of and degeneration of the brain and the brain's inability to work with, uh, you know, glycogen or sugar in carbohydrates or it's, it's sensitivity to insulin. In fact, this is why we tend to see people with Alzheimer's get a mild improvement in cognitive function when they go on a ketogenic diet because right. their brain stopped working really well off of you know, carbohydrates and sugars. Well, building muscle is one of the best ways to improve insulin sensitivity. It's actually a remarkably effective way. In fact, they've done studies on obese individuals where they have them lose no weight. Now, all they do is build a little muscle and we see you know, marked improvements in blood sugar regulation and insulin sensitivity. And along those lines, resistance training is the only pro youthful, you know, promotion of youthful levels of hormones that we've seen with exercise. No other form of exercise, for example, reliably raises testosterone in men. Resistance training does this across the board. It'll raise your testosterone. It'll even increase the androgen receptor density of your body. These are the receptors that testosterone attaches to. It raises your growth hormone baseline. It lowers your baseline of cortisol, which lots of cardiovascular activity actually raises cortisol and lowers testosterone. Um, It balances out estrogen, progesterone in women. And a lot of people wonder why, like how is it that this form of exercise does this? Because the primary adaptation is to build muscle your body, which now receives the signal to build strength and muscle, 
now has to organize its hormones in a way that is beneficial to build muscle. So in men, that means higher testosterone. In men and women, it means better insulin sensitivity. It means higher growth hormone, essentially more youthful levels of hormones. Right. Now, what about, what about when you do a form of exercise that tells your body to pare muscle down? Well, then it'll organize its hormones in a way to get you to reduce muscle. This is why we show, especially with lots of cardiovascular activity, a reliable, a reliable lowering of testosterone in men. So if you want longevity and youthful levels of hormones, one of the best things you do is strength train. Right. And kind of going off of that, pointing back to the cardio with the insulin sensitivity, a lot of what I'll call cardio junkies, people who are really into the biking, really into the running, the swimming, resort to these kind of quick energy, high carbohydrate foods to keep going, right? They go to, you know, nutrition bars with 30, 40 grams of sugar or high sugar drinks or different things like that in order to keep going. And all the while, they're actually impairing their body's ability to process blood glucose and impacting their insulin sensitivity. So you were mentioning before about the role that the muscle has in uh, the weight gain that runners see, you know, after that plateau or after they quit running. But the other piece to that from a physiological side is that insulin sensitivity piece. And I'm glad you brought that up because we often forget about the physiological effect of what our training is doing and what our nutrition is doing. So if you're someone who's kind of in that runner scene, so to speak, keep in mind that those quick energy snacks are going to come back to bite you later on in life, right? Those uh, high carb foods impact your body's ability to process glucose regularly. You're trying to digest something, even if it's easy to digest, right? When you're exercising, blood flows to your muscles. It's not flowing to your gut and your GI tract. So a lot of times you'll see cardio athletes having a lot of GI upset and GI distress as well. Um, so I think in general, the overall kind of physiological side of resistance training and how most people do it just makes so much more sense than something so repetitive such as running or biking. And I'll throw my physical therapy hat back on for a second. I see a lot of injuries that come from those repetitive stress kind of things like running, like biking. We have lost our ability to move as a society because the average person spends eight hours a day sitting down. Hips get tight, ankles get tight. We lose range of motion, we lose mobility. And then we go out and we pound away a couple miles on the pavement, or we sit down on a bike and pedal real hard and train pretty much straight quads the whole time. And all of a sudden we get people coming in with aches and pains because we can't move our body. Whereas with resistance training, like you said, it's practice. It's working through a full range of motion, through functional movement patterns, things that we need to do on a daily basis. I can't tell you the last time I've seen someone on a daily basis sit down on a bike and pedal their feet because they had to, to survive. They just do it for exercise or do it because they enjoy it. Whereas things like we said before, sitting down and standing up, bending over to pick something off the floor, reaching overhead, moving through functional patterns, Everyone does those every single day. And the benefits of doing these things carry far beyond just the gym, just 
the uh, just the aesthetic look, so to speak. Yeah, um, one of the hallmarks of resistance training is its uh, moldability. Um, it's extremely individualizable. I mean, look, you're going to school for physical therapy. One of the primary forms of exercise you use in rehab is resistance training. Yep. Why? Because it's it forms to the person. I can use appropriate resistance for anybody. I can move in almost infinite directions and ranges of motion. Uh, other forms of exercise, uh, they look like they look like they're a specific way, right? You ride a bike, it's a specific, you know, motion. A run, it's a specific motion. Resistance training is 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 almost infinite. It's very very moldable. It's uh, very uh, modifiable. And I can move in different planes of movement. Uh, I can move in different ranges of motion. Um, and so I can train my body in ways to maintain balance, mm -hmm. harmony, rather than training in one plane of movement all the time repetitively and not working in others, which can actually cause imbalances. Right. And with that, too, regardless of your age, I, don't, I think it's real important to mention that people should not fear resistance training. I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 70. I've had 70 year olds squatting with 20 pound kettlebells and they do just fine. They actually get better from doing that. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your stage of life. You can benefit from doing these things. You can benefit from the principles that Sal outlines in his book. And I think that's kind of something that society demonizes as well, right? We say, well, you know, they're too old or they're too young to be doing these things. And we forget that, like we said, these are things we all do on a daily basis anyways. So why is it that practicing them is so taboo or unaccepted? Yeah, train them, just train appropriately. You know, like one of my, one of the, the, you know, I used to train a lot of people in advanced age towards the end of my career. And I'll give you an example. Like, a, you know, I, I'd have a 75 year old woman come in and we're going to do an assessment first just to kind of see where she's at. And, the first exercise we may do is where I have her sit down and stand up. That's it. Yep. So she'll sit down in a chair, stand up, make sure the knees stay in line. And that's her squat, right? Or I may have her just reach up above her head and try and straighten her arm out. Like no weight, right? That's her press. Um, so you can modify it for your body. Train yourself appropriately for your current fitness level. Don't try to get sore. Actually, in fact, getting sore probably means you did too much. And just practice these movements, and you'll find that you're, you'll be you'll be blown away by how well your body adapts, and your body never loses its ability to adapt. Now, your potential, of course, goes down, right? A seven-year-old's potential is much lower than when they were twenty, but you don't lose. Your body's always has its ability to adapt. I mean, the second you lose that, you're dead. So, if you think you can't get stronger because you're old, I mean, that's completely false. Of course, you can. You can definitely get stronger. You can definitely improve your control. And doing so with resistance training really is as close you can get to the fountain of youth than you can get with any form of exercise for a lot of the reasons that I highlighted. Um, you know, as we get older, the big problem is we're just, we're becoming quite weak. Uh, yep. we, we, you know, we lose balance and stability because we're not strong. Our bones get brittle. Building muscle is the best way to build armor, to protect your body. You know, having muscle on your body as a great protection mechanism if you're ever bedridden for some reason. You know, if you go to the hospital because, you know, for whatever reason, but you've built a decent amount of muscle on your body, uh, you're far more protected than if you had less. Um, and then from an aesthetic standpoint, building muscle gives women curve, 
It gives men and women posture. It makes us look healthy. It looks really good. And it allows you the ability, and, and this is now speaking to the cosmetic side of exercise, it gives you the ability to mold and shape your body. You know, I can, I can use resistance training and say, I want to develop more shoulders or I want more definition in my arms. And all I got to do is exercises, more exercises for those areas. Other forms of exercise, again, not really, right? You know, if I'm, if I'm riding my bike and that's my primary form of exercise and I want to develop more shoulders, I mean, what can I do, right? There's not much else I can do aside from what I'm already doing. But resistance training gives you that ability. Right. And you saying mold and shape your body there, that made me think of your MAPS programs. I know you usually say mold and shape your body with MAPS aesthetic, I think. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think people should definitely buy your book, start with your book. But I think after that, if they're seeing good results, maybe they should go and look at your MAPS programs. So could you kind of talk a little bit about those while we're kind of on that? Yeah, they're all they're all uh, well-designed, programmed workout programs, and they're all different for different goals. Um, you know, we have some that are more for people who are more interested in strength, we have some that are more bodybuilding inspired. We have some that are more inspired for mobility and athleticism. Um, and then we have programs that are even more specialized, uh, obstacle course racing programs, uh, programs for power lifters. So we have a wide variety of workout programs that you can follow depending on your goal. The workouts that you find in the resistance training revolution, very basic, designed for somebody who's getting started or who's never really done resistance training consistently. But beyond that, then I would move more towards something more advanced if you wanted to push your body or take your body to the next level. Right. Now, where can people find other resources like your MAPS programs or your bundles or your different free resources that you put out through MindPump? Um, MindPumpFree.com. We have lots of free guides there. So lots of free information and all of it's free. You could also listen to the podcast, Mind Pump, and you can find that on any podcast platform. We also have two YouTube channels. Uh, Mind Pump TV uh, has all of our exercise demos. And then the Mind Pump podcast channel is our podcast just on video form. So you can watch us. Right. And speaking of podcast, you're number one for health, fitness, and entertainment, correct? Yeah, we've been number one in fitness for a very, very long time. And we typically rank top 10 or 20 in all of health and wellness in the world. But for fitness, uh, we've been number one now for I don't know how many years. That's incredible. Well, Sal, thank you so much for your time, your insight, and all your wisdom about resistance training. For those listening, again, if you haven't yet, you need to go buy Sal's book. The link is right in the description below. Just click on that. It'll take you right there. Otherwise, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Sal. You can find him on Instagram at Mind Pump Sal. Sal, thanks again. Thanks for having me on.